percussive. Obsessive. Obsessive. Obsessive inverse. This usually a technical fault. I think we're good. So this is episode three of Obsessive Conversive, and I'm with the one and only Michael Blevins. And there's probably I, another one somewhere. There actually is, because I get there's there's an actor called Michael Blevins. Yeah, there uh, is actually. Do you know what's funny? This is even this is a kind of funny place to start, but there I'm on an Instagram chat, like a group chat, and it's all the Michael Blevinses of the world. And there's like 50 of them. And they're like, every once in a while, I'll get pinged on it, and somebody will just like send a picture of themselves and their name or whatever. And you're like, Jesus Christ, this fucking world is so <laughs> But it, it's also it's, kind of funny that you can do that. Yeah, I remember like early days on Facebook, um, I got added to, I suppose it'd be a group now, but it wasn't so much that. It was, it was called something else like years and years and years ago. Um, talking like early 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was called the Darren Thompson Appreciation Society. And it's still going now. There's still people. I think I'm a moderator of it. I don't know how because I've never oh, okay. accepted that. But it literally is a group where every now and again, somebody with my name just puts, hi, Darren. And it's <laughs> and then people just reply in the comments saying, hi, hi. And it's just all Darren Thompson's from all over the world. That's actually pretty funny. I don't, I don't know how this stuff gets started. I mean, it reminds me of, uh, do you listen to Duncan Trussell? Yeah, yeah, I love Duncan. Duncan I just spoke to uh, Daniel uh, Daniele Bellelli uh, last week. Oh, okay, nice. I his I think he's like one of the most creative people. And even though, like, I mean, his show is not for everybody. It's really kind of out there. Yeah, um, but it really fits. I, I I like I can like I I really connect with his style of seriousness and humor. And so, like, whenever I just hear him talking, it sounds like a friend is talking. I don't yeah. even care what he's talking about, like how he cracks himself up. I just go, I mean, I'd probably like get along with that person. Yeah. Just because it's silly. I like, so, um, I like to listen to Duncan if I'm walking. Okay. I, do, I, I find if I'm, if I, if I'm looking for something, um, that I want to just, just listen to. Yeah. I, I wouldn't sit there and listen to Duncan because I find that the way he speaks and like, he's a very clever guy. Yeah. I don't I don't take in everything that he's trying to say. But if I'm walking and not really paying great attention to the detail in what he's saying, I get what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's kind of funny. It's, it brings to mind like what, why and where and when you listen to certain things. Like uh, my a friend of ours, Chris uh, Warden. I know Chris. Um, well, sort of. Yeah, so he's, he's been on the show and uh, he's a fairly intelligent person. I like we've always been, we've always had kind of a similar connection. We're just like always, we all, I'm not talked to him for like six months and then I'll text him. And it's almost like there was a comma between our last like chat. Like it just goes yeah. one thread to the other. Um, but he texted me the other day and then he asked, we, we got on a phone call and he's like, I was just listening to you while I was working out. And I was like, I literally couldn't think of anything more miserable than listening <laughs> to my voice while trying to try I was like, no wonder you're out of shape, dude. <laughs> 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 Listening to me, and then I thought about it, and I was like, 
ah, shit, that's basically what somebody pays me to coach them. That's what yeah. they're paying for. God damn it, I didn't know how poor my product was for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I mean, you've done pretty well, to be fair, in that respect. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm sure you've done this, but um, when, I, when I train people, mm-hmm. and um, especially in the early days, and I, th- I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Mark, who defined um, on the website saying that uh, to be a coach or not a rep counter. Mm-hmm. And I remember like in early days, just like personal training people and um, yep. being there, you've, <laughs> sp- you've, you've spent a little bit of time programming, but it's a pretty generic program. And I remember after reading that and my next client that I took, being there, I think I was even counting down. So I was counting down from 10 because I'd read somewhere that the psychology of that makes it easier for the the person. And remember, this is early days. This is this. I would never do that now. But um, it. I remember hearing myself count and thinking, you boring fuck. You like this must be the worst. Someone's paying me 25 quid. To count backwards this. Surely there's All right, three more. Okay, two. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, like all the things that I think, and here's the secret between that, that like here's the dirty little secret between calling personal trainers rep counters. It's because both me and Mark are really bad at counting. Same. So we're actually, like a lot of it just has to do with jealousy. We can't, after five, like somewhere between five and 10, I lose count. So Same. I can't even do times that I've thing. done that though. The amount of times, and they're like, I'm sure I've done 11. No, I definitely haven't. You've got so, one more. <laughs> so most of our commentary, like most of the commentary on like the industry of like training people and fitness, most of it is because we just realize what we are doing, not necessarily somebody else. When it's somebody else, it's kind of like, well, you know, it's easy to criticize other people. But most of the deep-seated stuff that's really like annoying is a really annoying because we know we're doing it. Like, yeah we're perpetrating the, the thing that we know is irritating. Like, am I just literally like, I wrote this big long program so this guy could become this thing. And in the end, I'm literally just counting backwards from 15 over and over again <laughs> until yeah. he gets there. And I'm like, or is this like the, the allegories, like the wheels on the bus? Like your counting makes the journey so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The wheels on the bus. I like that. Oh, yeah. Um, it's 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 funny though because I haven't I haven't trained anybody for for quite a while now and in okay. when when I was um, going to talk to Rob I obviously I was trying to find old YouTube videos and stuff uh-huh. which one of one of the like that somebody did a video of Rob and it was perfect it completely encapsulated Rob in a video yeah and um, it's gone he doesn't know where it's gone it's not oh, it's not. It's not on YouTube. It's not on v- Vimeo. Vimeo. Um, it's it's just nowhere. I've, I've tried googling it. I've tried everything. Couldn't find it. Um, and like today, I was going through just 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 to refresh myself a little bit. I was going through different um, podcasts that you'd been on. I've listened to, to a bit of nonprofit today, um, just so there was some like a little bit of notes that I can pull from if if the yeah. conversation goes a bit flat. And in doing that, I sort of went, um, I watched the video that Jason's got when he came to visit you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's on his YouTube channel and like his appreciation for Mark 
Um, and then I was watching, uh, there, was, there was an interview you did about your time training, Henry. Um, and I was like, I miss it. I do. I miss it. I miss training people. Um, and not, not in a way that I, I'd want to restart my gym. And because part of the reason that I stopped was because of the financial pressure that I put on myself. Yeah. And where I am, it's like you've, you've got like such a, a saturated market. There's so many gyms that can offer so much for a lot less without the personal interaction for 24 hours, that sort of stuff. And usually the UK is a slight step behind the States in terms of, you know, where the fitness industry is. And, but I did, I thought, I started thinking when, when I was hearing Jason talk about Mark and how much he'd influenced him from a young age, Uh not from training him, but from reading Extreme Alpine, yeah, Extreme, is it Alpine? Yes, Um, and then seeing the two of them interact just briefly on that short video that he posted. And I was like, there's a few, there's a few guys I've trained, you know, if I was to get them back, that would be, that'd be fantastic. Um, it's just the, the practicality of it is, is a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I can get one or two and do something. There's like a genuine interaction that you have with some clients where it's like a sharing like yeah. there, there's like I'm gonna show you what I know, and in return, like maybe you pay me, but maybe you don't. But really, I'm learning just by getting to be around you and seeing how like this whole thing and how it really ends up is like people that are good in other facets of their life are not good physically, and I happen to be good physically, so they come to me to learn that one thing. But what they do in the exchange is like I learn about all the shit that I'm bad at. Because all the people that kind of let their physicality go or, you know, whatever it is, their, their nutrition, whatever we're helping with, they generally went down like a road that um, that didn't interest me. Business, you know, finances, development, like these like professional um, development threads that people follow that I was just like so turned away from. But now I know is like kind of a missing thing. So coaching to me is like my secret way of using my thing that I just comes naturally mm-hmm. to share with people so I can actually get the thing that I'm bad at out of them. Like yeah. There's a siphoning process that happens when, and um, you know, I didn't train people for quite a while. I took kind of a break here and there. Like I've always kind of, you know, I'll coach some people here and there that just want to like train, but like really coach people I've, I've stayed away from until fairly recently when we've taken on some new clients. And um, the important thing is how serious you are about wanting to do your profession. Yeah. Right? That's, that's, I think, what is mostly missing. And if you don't absolutely love all the ups and downs, you really shouldn't do it. Like, there's some annoyances, right? But I just don't put myself in those annoying situations where, like, oh, like group fitness, crud, I have, like, five people here at 5 30 a.m that never get better because they never actually sleep yeah they're the a-type personalities that literally (coughs) are the most stale people ever they've been doing the same thing repetitively for 15 years and they pay you well so you show up um i just don't let those traps get set for me in the in the first part um 
And that's probably how I can still really like to do what I do because I do it on my terms. And I think that's probably the important part um, that if you do want to coach somebody, um, you have to set the scenario up so that you can do your best work. Um, but I really like interacting with people. Like I like seeing them move. I like, you know, making fun of them. I like, you know, also seeing what they're good at and I like hearing what they're good at. So this to me, coaching is just an excuse to interact with people on a very personal level. Um, it's something that like I really enjoyed from my time as a hairdresser because it's almost the same thing. Some people yeah. come to you because they want something. And because we have two or three hours to waste, like you learn about that person. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a different aspect to coaching because most people get into it for the ego maniacal part i want to change somebody i want to make somebody better and that's like that's kind of a side effect right like most of the time we yeah. fail because we know what people could potentially be and we will we'll always miss potential like if somebody ever hits the top of potential you're just like oh that like that's the most successful thing ever and that rarely happens mm -hmm. i miss my own potential i've you know my clients rarely reach theirs um, but that doesn't mean they don't get better. It just means that there's this level that people could get to that we all are so far away from. Um, realizing that can make you kind of depressed sometimes because you're like, well, what the fuck am I doing? I'm just like going through the same motions over and over again, thinking that it's going to change. But in reality, you're just like you're rolling this ball down the hill and you're working with it in a different way each time. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think. Um for for me with the with the fitness industry though i think um part part of it was um starting to work with the the guys that i work with now um and it became a a monthly income that yeah. i was that i was i was um gonna get and i was fairly good at what i was doing there um the other thing is i i found that i got a, a really deep frustration um and i had nowhere to put it um which i think you guys touched on i'm trying to think who it was is it thirk is that the guy that yeah yeah, yeah. he he um he silenced mark didn't he on the podcast and it was it was a very powerful podcast for me as somebody that admires mark in the way that i do because i've never heard anybody be able to do that in any way from what I've, you know, I've seen comments on photos. I've seen people slagging off his work when he was at Jim Jones. I've seen, you know, left, right and centre. But, but the way he silenced him in that podcast, it, it seemed like an hour in my headphones. Mm -hmm. that, um, and what, what I'm talking about is like I had nowhere to put that frustration that anybody would read. Because nobody in my head and in probably reality as well, Nobody gave a shit if I was just moaning about the fact that there were people on social media that were that had a big fat ass that could put it in a yeah. slight angle and they would get a lot more interaction on their posts um, than I do. And people would take their advice on stuff that I, you know, spent years, years researching and they, you know, they just used their genetics to take a good photo. And also in the, the sort of the weekend coach. They go and pay their thousand bucks. They get 
they go to a weekend seminar and now they're a, a certified level one coach for whatever the organization is. And they can then open a gym because of the brand. They can now pull in my clients because yeah. people are, because people are fickle and they want to go with the new thing that everybody's talking about. Yeah. Um, and it was like a great frustration and it was almost a relief when I finally said, right, closing the doors. It was a very sad day for me, as I'm sure. sure, sure it's been for you in different um, facilities that you've worked in when it's finally like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. Sometimes it's like I said, it's a relief. So yeah. I had the mixture of the two. It was like a relief. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't have to worry about that frustration. But at the same time, it was like a deep sadness. That was 10 years almost. It was like a six months off, like a 10 year project. Yeah. And it just sort of closed that door. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've had an even heightened degree from what I've had, given, given the, the, the type of clients that you've had in the past and the exposure you've had and people probably asking you stupid questions like I've, I've heard you I've heard you vent about it before and you're and I love hearing what you say in your email um exchanges when people are like uh, how how do I look like Superman and you're like I don't know you tell me brilliant great response <laughs> well I you know and it's a it's a weird so the, the industry as a whole like I mean it's like any industry like if something gets big enough, you're going to have people that are very good at taking advantage of it, uh, like in a monetary ex like uh, exchange. Like there's just people that can capitalize on and not to put this in a pejorative way, but like on people's hopes and dreams. Mm -hmm. Right? Like people hope to be more physically fit, or they hope to make more money, or they like, if they think whatever you're selling is an avenue to their hopes and dreams, they're going to buy in. And there's really good people. Uh, and I'm, I'm not, they're not good people, but they're, they're people who are good at, um, I, I guess like facilitating that process. Mm -hmm. And so they become kind of the, the models in a sense of what you should be like in an industry, because it's like self-replicating. You, you get, you get a person who, you know, puts a butt video up. And girls or guys watch it and they want their girls to look like that. So they all follow down this thread and they all kind of march. And then you've just empowered somebody by giving them a platform and kind of the authority because of based off of like, you know, in most cases, a genetic abnormality. Mm -hmm. um, you've given them this platform and enriched them. And now they're like behaving in a whale in a way that is 100 percent a byproduct of the staging effect for somebody, right? Like, um, I uh, we had a really like absurd uh, podcast. I don't think it's out yet, and um, we we're making this joke about Barbara Bush and and George Bush, but really, I was kind of serious with what I was saying about the identity thing of like how we are not our identities are a byproduct of our environment. They're not a byproduct of our will. Like, I am not yeah. who I want to be in the face of, like, you know, uh, my philosophical insight. I am who I am because I've had enough positive feedback from, let's say, like, um, maybe it's paying clients or maybe it's attention from the opposite sex or maybe it's, like, adoration or admiration from, you know, differing people. Um, like, if I, if I, like, when I was really attracted to, like, Mark's 
thesis and what he was doing, the first thing is like, man, I want Mark to notice me. So I'm going to act in a way that gets his attention, which means I'm going to start harping on subjects that he feels inclined to harp on. So we'll find that commonality. And once now I've just become somebody I'm not in order to appeal to somebody who I like and admire. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not saying uh, that's just a, like in retrospect how it happens. And I'm, I'm guilty of it as much as anybody else. And I think the reason why I kind of like, I always like to note it, like I always like to, especially in the fitness industry, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, um, it's just human nature playing out. And I think observing it is the important part, but I, I don't, I don't get frustrated anymore at the fact that, you know, people are more successful or they, you know, they, they really use their name to get a bigger name or they get more notoriety or they have a big platform. I used to get frustrated by that because I thought that there was good and bad information, which there is to some degree, but it's all, it, it's all in context, good or bad. Like if somebody has never done anything, P90X is fucking awesome. Yeah. Right? If, if somebody has never thought about their food, uh, being vegan is a really good way to start paying attention to what you put in the mouth. And yeah. so for me to say like, oh, and get frustrated because no, they need, they shouldn't be vegan. They should be paleo or they should do this or they should take my thing. Um, it's, it's to go back to the theory that there's not enough resources for everybody. And in general, my frustration has completely gone away when I realized that like there's enough for everybody. And what you carve out is basically, it's a, it's a reflection of the value, in essence. That doesn't mean it's real value. That means it's a reflection of it. Like, it's a, if I am useful and what I'm doing is useful to other people, I'll, people will find a way to make that happen. Like, that they will, they will ask for it. They'll request it. If nobody is requesting something from you, then think about that as the feature. How can I get, how can I be, how can I do something that's valuable enough that when I take it away, people will miss it? Yeah. Um, I, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that, um, even just listening to that now is like, um, so I'm a year, year or so, um, not, tra not training anybody or anything like that. And thinking about the frustration, frustrations, my, like my brother will, will, tag me in a, a crossfit post or like today he sent me a uh a, a facebook post from uh, lewis hamilton saying that his dog's completely vegan and like a year ago i <laughs> i mean that's mental but um a year ago like when the um i can't even remember what the documentary is called the netflix one where schwarzenegger was on there about the oh, the, the vegan yeah. whole thing a year ago it was I a big think, deal, right? Yeah. It was, it was like a really I big deal. It. I can't even tell you the name of that fucking movie. No. Plants Are Us, something like that. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't know. I can't remember. I don't know. It had something to do with I, I, I know you're, like, obviously, uh, I even remember the people that are involved. James, whatever his name. Because they were on uh, road as well, weren't they? They debated it out, two, two guys. Yeah. Watch it, think. Really <laughs> things that are around it, but you're right, like, how unimportant it actually is. Yeah. And that's what, like, to be honest, when people ask about, like, plant-based nutrition, I tell full speed ahead, man, do it. Mm-hmm. 
because it's just an endpoint. Just because they're going to bounce off the bottom of feeling like shit and then understanding that it's not a sustainable way of living, or maybe they find out it's their thing, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe that's it. Maybe maybe a vegan lifestyle was for them because it gave them purpose and attention to detail. In which case, no one gives a shit about it. Like it really doesn't yeah. matter. People are inherently really unhealthy psychologically and spiritually like however you want to interpret that it doesn't mean it's like some woo-woo thing it just means like their essence the and i i so to clarify because a lot of people actually have like some really weird connotations with the word spirit when i say spirit i mean idea Mm -hmm. like that's the idea of something it has a spirit to it right that that is immortal we have an idea about people who have lived who are dead now therefore the idea of them is immortal to us and that's their spirit and if it's a bad idea it haunts us but if it's a good idea it's almost like a guardian angel mm-hmm. but this is very like like physical way to interpret um the esoterics of the world like people have talked about haunting and spells and all of these things that their meanings can be translated into a very real way where you understand the same inflection and I don't have to disagree with the supernatural state of things. So um, people are bankrupt spiritually because they have bad ideas, right? And they know they're bad ideas and those bad ideas haunt them. Like they know internally my relationship with food is not a good one, but I mask it by saying I'm this, I'm that and the other. So we have these like, uh, self-deception tools that we use in order to keep our bad ideas. And I think the only thing that can help is like, how can I not, how can I have the least amount of bad ideas possible? People are generally looking for good ideas. They're looking to add more, right? I, I want, I want better ideas. I want to read more books. I want to get more philosophy, more sound ideas that I can have as talking points, but that's consumption. Like yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't gotten rid of the bad ideas yet. Therefore, I'm obese with bad ideas because I haven't done any removal, right? There's a leaning phase where, like, you could have all the knowledge that you want, um, but unless you lean out the things that you don't want, it's not, there's no wisdom there. It's just accumulation of facts that you think are facts and you haven't proven uh, to be useful. that's been the hardest part for me is always coming to terms for when I was wrong about something. Yeah. And I'm wrong all the time, like all the time, because if I was right, it would be game over. Yeah. If what I think about the world is correct, 100% through and through, I have not one wrong idea. Um, what ha- like the game's over. There's nothing else to figure out. Just like, that's, you know, that's it. Just put a gun in your mouth. Um, and that's kind of what it feels like. So as long as I, and this gets back to another problem that we talk about all, all the time, is like, am I just creating problems in order to solve those problems that I created in order to feel useful? Am I just like <laughs> perpetuating the cycle? And there's some degree to that that's like really depressing because it is true. Like, I, you know, I, I'm going to go off the deep end and try this weird thing. I know it's going to fuck me up, but then I'll have something to fix. So it'll yeah. be something to do during quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know, like, 
I think at any one point, I think it's important to realize that no matter what you're practicing, whether it's physical fitness, whether it's spirituality, where it's like enlightenment or any of these things that I think are worth, you know, trying to understand more about, um, at any one given point, there is no arrival. And I think like I can practice with anything as long as I know that the practice is informing my ideas about the world and that I should, by practicing, should be admitting that I don't know the best way. That's what makes it a practice is because I want to improve, which means I don't know how to do everything. So it's an admission of fault and inexpertise that allows me to become an expert in something. So as long as I can attribute those things to practice, and I can also admit that the arrival date is is going to keep me going, but I should realize that that date should never come. Because we usually go, hey, you know, if I just get here, I'll be at peace. Like, if I can just, like, lose that weight, or if I could just make that money, or if I could just start that thing, or if I could just, it's all... But if you realize how I am now is totally fine. I'm at peace with everything, all the debt, all the bad mistakes that I've made, all the like hard relationships that I might have fucked up or the ones that I am not grateful enough to keep or whatever. If, if I'm okay with all of that, then everything happens. And I think that is a really hard thing to teach people because you're like let go of everything quit trying mm-hmm. to control it's like that that fight club scene where he tells him to let go of the steering yeah wheel. the steering wheel just let go and let go like be okay ending it you know and so uh, we kind of have a joke here is like the thing that we're doing at nonprofit is going to end someday um it's hard to think about because it just has started like we barely just started this thing and I'm already worried about how it's going to end, which is like to show you how terrible even somebody who realizes the, the trappings, um, how terrible we are humans about projecting our failures and like all these other things. Um, I can imagine um, I can imagine there's quite a few sort of negative thoughts that get bounced between you and Mark because you're what's Mark's old nickname? Dr. Doom, wasn't Dr. it? Doom. And yeah. And I you're, mean, what, I'm trying to remember was, what you said. You said you're the, you're the, at the height, at the height of self-loathing most of the time, um, yeah. in one of your in one of your recent podcasts. And I was like, I can imagine that 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 space at times must be, because I'm the same though. I'm exactly yeah. the same as that. And it only like usually it takes somebody to come up and like dig me in the ribs like come on stop being such a girl but i can imagine like the two of you bouncing off each other at times although that may be super creative i can imagine if you were an onlooker you'd be like fucking hell they're depressing <laughs> oh and i mean it comes in way we were talking about it last night we get on these like we we ebb and flow and we can kind of we've worked together long enough that i like we can really read each other that doesn't mean we get along all the time i mean he's like one of my best friends for sure yeah um, but because of that, and because we have a working relationship, we're just very delicate about how the other works, yada, yada, yada. Let me clear this thing real quick. Um, we, we really have to be careful because we also influence each other, um, quite a bit. And, and we really can get onto that point where you're like, you know, I'm having a bad day. I'm looking at the world like this. When Mark comes in, like, am I going to take him down with me? Mm-hmm. Or is he can lift me up. 
And there's none of that. We don't try to alter each other. We just try to like see where the other person's at and try to understand why they're there. Yeah. And it's been at different times. Uh, Keegan mentioned the other day, because when he got back from Australia, he was very like, oh, I don't give a shit about any of this stuff. And the quarantine thing had just happened. And me and Mark were like, what the fuck is going to happen? Like we were looking at every detail, irritated by every last thing. Like, is this really happening? People are behaving this way. And this is what, like, this is what the world is going to look like. Like Jesus Christ, the whole thing could come down and people don't realize it. That was like an alarming, anxious feeling that was going for like two months straight. And then we, I, I mean, I don't know about Mark, but I turned it off. I literally just went snap. Okay. I'm done with that. Mm -hmm. I'm focus on this so i i to to like um modify myself i made a very specific day where i was like i'm done thinking about the world like this because i don't like i want the world to be a utopia i don't want it to be a dystopia so yeah. if i keep looking at it in terms of what guns am i hoarding and how good is my shooting and when am i going to know that like people are inherently against each other. Um, I'm, tr I'm preparing for a world that I don't want to live in. And that doesn't mean I think it should be all drum circles and, and you know, peyote ceremonies, but yeah. to some degree I do. Like there's something that's really like calming about, and to, to give you an idea of what we're doing here now, like um, I'm learning music and that's I, my double down effort was to just, uh, I'm going to buy like five instruments that I don't know how to play. Mm -hmm. And it, I'm not going to look at the world until I know how to play those instruments. I'm not going to read news. I'm not going to like worry about what's going uh, on. It's funny. That's, um, that's actually one thing that I picked up from the, the latest, I've, I've listened to the latest podcast twice. I fell asleep last night after oh, I'd messaged yeah. you. I had it, um, had it on in the background and, um, it was the the unfollow everything and only have oh, output. Yeah. And then you were discussing um, the whole music thing, weren't you? About how is it a friend of yours who's got like a a house where he only has people he wants yeah. there, which is which is quite ironic, really, because that's sort of how you guys sort of want yeah. to set up. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, I wanted to like, is that something you would actually do? Because I'd find it, I mean, I find it difficult. A lot of my work um, information comes through social media. They've got groups on Facebook for different departments within the restaurant. So it'd be difficult for me to completely switch off. But I have thought sure. about it at times, like recently. And the other thing, um, you, uh, what was it? Uh, riot porn was another thing. And it's, you guys were discussing like the, the, um, each like new news thing about the different riots or the different acts oh, yeah. of brutality is just getting worse and worse and worse because people are just not accepting the fact that you know that first one was the was bad enough and yeah, yeah, yeah. and it really made me think because it's like you go through my news feed and if it's not a comedian getting done for this and when, when you actually when you actually when you actually look at what they've done i've it was making me look at myself and think fucking hell am i a complete arsehole because i've i've done you know, I've I've said probably the wrong thing to a woman once or twice in my time, and you know, easily, yeah. easily, like without even thinking about it. And then when you think about it, I've got a daughter. I wouldn't want anybody speaking to my daughter in that fashion. But that doesn't make me somebody that shouldn't be able to continue working because 
And yeah, so there's like a, a number of things I've just touched. And this is, again, this is obsessive conversive. So this is where yep. my brain goes. It fires off. I've heard one thing you say and want to discuss another. So if I bring I'm it back to... I'm, I'm tracking you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I've, I've, you'll have to grab my feet going down this uh, rabbit hole. Cause, um, so you mentioned some really interesting points. Well, the, the, news, the news part of this is like, it's like anything. I've started, hopefully it saved that first bit. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, yeah, hopefully. So uh, no, we, just start again. Um, we were talking the, about the news, weren't we? Yeah. So um, the thing that really helped me is like understanding. I don't think it's a maliciousness uh, in the news cycle. It, it really is. Most people are trying to do good. Like they, they really are. Like if you don't yeah. think that, um, you really are going to spiral quickly because that, like, that is bad faith in you know most humans which i do have like that that exists Same. in me um but i have to at least you know entertain the idea that let's say journalists have people's best intentions in mind right? like they're like people want to know what this is and this is a thing but in order to get that message out they're willing to do really fucked up things because they think that the cause is worth it so they're not like, again, let's put this a weird way, but people are generally, actually, I'll give you an analogy. A friend of mine um, that I've been coaching for a little bit, uh, he has an astrocytoma. And so I didn't want to train him. This is kind of how fucked up I am until I learned about his brain cancer. Right. right. Like, he needs I'm glad you cleaned doing... that because I was like, Hey, what? <laughs> yeah, well, so and he was like, hey, I need some help coaching. I was like, hey, man, I'm not really doing, you know, especially remotely, uh, you know, I don't get the same thing out of it. Um, I can point you in the right direction. Maybe I can set you up with somebody. And he goes, yeah, perfect. Like, I might just need some advice on nutrition and maybe how to train to fix some stuff. And so I was like, cool. So we set up a, you know, a chat. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, well, I'm doing the selection process for the FBI and I have brain cancer, so I need to know how to do chemo while I'm going through this thing. And immediately I was like, Jesus Christ, like, this is really weird. Like, how are you? I immediately had questions. I'm like, I could learn something from this person if I help them. So I helped him. Uh, we've become really good friends. We talk all the time now. But during the, the height of this thing, um, we, we changed his diet in kind of an extreme manner. And he had really good results. And into the fact, like, he doesn't have to do chemo now. And really? his oncologist, and it's a combination of things. Like, there's, you know, a lot of prescriptions involved, like metformin, how to control his blood sugar, uh, exercise, how he fasts, how he eats, how much carbohydrate he eats, where that carbohydrate is. Uh, everything is, like, it's mm -hmm. really dialed in. He does hyperoxygenation. He does breathing drills. Like, we threw everything at it, and it seems to have pacified and that could change any day. So it's not like saying that it's over, yeah, but yeah. he's found uh, like a like a balance in his life um, where he can like live with only some fear that there at any moment it might shift. Mm -hmm. um, and he was explaining to me, like when he went to the oncologist and it was at the height of this thing and the oncologist is like, man, it's really taken a turn. Like it looks like the scans are coming back and it's not growing. It's just going to stay there. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about your diet because I'm really worried about your cholesterol. 
that old chestnut. And you're like, wait, what? And she goes, you're eating a really high fat diet. Um, that can be a problem. Like you can have high cholesterol. And he goes, duck, the plane is crashing and you're telling me to worry about global warming. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then that thing. And most people, although they care about like the well-being, they don't want other people to suffer. They also put one thing in front of the other. Yeah. Um, so the discovery of something becomes the most important thing and how you alarm somebody to it becomes unimportant. So although the media might have good intentions to relay how the world is you know, happening and unfolding, they really don't do it in a way that takes any like of our health or mental health into regard. So they, they like give us these tidbits to keep us you know, chomping at the bit because news has become entertainment, not news. And once I realize that I I'm unaffected by it. Like, I, and I mean that into my bones, there isn't a news story. They, and I'll like some people will send me and I'll read the headline and I'll laugh and I'll start reading it. And I go, this is hilarious. Like, it is, it totally unaffects me. It doesn't matter how absurd it is. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's like uh, the best way I could describe it is it is a real freedom from oppression. Like to understand that nobody is trying to inform me personally. Therefore, I yeah. don't have to worry about it. Right? Like even if, even if it was an article about this impending doom of this earthquake that's going to happen on this date and this time, what would I actually change in my daily life? Like, what, what would I do? And the coronavirus thing is a perfect example. What have you done that has drastically changed? People's lives are drastically changed, but what have you done to change based off what you know about the world? Mm -hmm. And in my own, I go, cool, I wash my hands, and I'm more aware about who I... I I'm, I'm, like, literally more aware about how I interact in the world. That's it. Yeah. Who I let into my space, how long I let them hang out, how, how we like, you know, maybe I don't give so many hugs. That's literally how it's changed. And other than that, nothing else really matters. It's um, it's that's really hit home, really, because I, I mean, I like. I thought because I, I went off in terms of the UK sort of the week before we were told, like, we're closing everything down. Um my daughter got sent home from school. She had a, a cough. And to be honest, I, I tried to do everything by the book, by what I was being told. Um, I know my daughter, and I know that she just had a cough. It, that, yeah. like, that's all it was. But she quarantined in her room for seven days, and oh. I had no interaction with her. But, um, I'm asthmatic, so at the beginning, oh. I, was, I was like that. Fuck, if I get it, I'm going to die. I am dead. Yeah. Because that's what I was being told. So yeah. I, I was making sure I was cooking her amazing meals. Like she was having steak and fresh green veg placed just outside of her door. I'd knock on the door. Yeah. Down I'd go. Wouldn't be able to know whether or not she enjoyed a meal. I was, I was having a FaceTime with my own daughter. Like, because that's what I was told. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know if I, at that point, if I had to go back to work or not. So it was like, I have to, you know, do this all by the book. Um, and then the impending three months or whatever it was that we were we were told we were in quarantine. Um, you could go, there's a, a small supermarket just around the corner from me. 
and I, I remember catching myself once I came I came home and I was talking to my my, my dad lives with me and um, I was speaking to him and I, I was so fucking angry because obviously at this point still it was just like if you've got an underlying health condition i.e asthma yeah. you need to be really careful but I'm yeah. in the same way as I always was with my gym as I always am with just about anything in life it's like fuck you you don't tell me what I'm doing but I'll be careful Sure. As long as, as long as everybody else is being careful. So the supermarket had the one-way system. You yeah. have to wash your hands when you go in. You have to wash your hands when you go out. The amount of people that were just, ah, fuck it. I'm, I'm, it's a yeah. one-way system, but I'm overtaking on this one-way system. And I remember coming home and was like, Dad, people are fucking idiots. I can't stand being around these people. Like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Get, like, I was furious. And then the more I thought about it, I was more like, well, if I'm that bothered, why am I the one going out of the house? Like, and you saying about what have I changed? I, I changed my view sort of on that whole situation. Like, if I'm going to put myself at risk by going out because I need some potatoes, because yeah. my that's another thing I did change is I started growing stuff in my garden. Yeah. Again, uh, my potatoes aren't quite ready yet, so I have to go to the shop <laughs> if I want them. Um, or you know, whatever it was that I needed, toilet roll, when it finally came back into circulation. It was worth more than gold at one point, I think. Um, <laughs> but but it was like, if, if I don't want to be infuriated by people's behaviour in that situation, why am I putting myself in that situation? If I'm going to go, then I have to change my attitude. You know what people are like, so don't get so mad about things. That's, that is my go-to. My go-to. I'm a, I've got like a flash mentality. If something annoys me. It enrages me. And then yeah. when I allow my other part of myself to actually go, what are you doing? Because that's what I would say to somebody else. Yeah. If I, was to, if I was like, say my daughter came home and she was fucking, somebody pissed her off at school or whatever. I'm usually the voice of reason. I am at work as well. If, you know, if somebody's annoyed because something's happened at work, it's usually me that would be like, hey, hey, hey. You know, is is it that? Like, what you know, what can we do to fix this? Um, so I'm I'm learning at the moment. That's the one thing that I did learn during quarantine. Well, two things. One is that I'm actually quite an anxious person. Didn't realise that until quarantine. Quarantine. Uh, and two, that I need to speak to myself the way I would speak to other people. Yes, I, it, this is a phenomenal point that most people don't understand that how we talk to ourselves is usually so much worse than how we talk to other people. So how we talk to other people doesn't feel that bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I might be critical of somebody or, Oh, they did this because in my own head, I'm 10 times worse. I'm yeah. like the worst person in existence in my own head. And that's, that's something that we're like, you know, obviously we come from a fairly dark, morose, nihilistic philosophy. Like, how how i i mean god i don't know about mark but my philosophical journey started with like the germans and so uh that german harshness and existential nihilism was basically how i started actually conceptualizing the world and it wasn't till like and that's somewhat unfair because i actually started with like zen and and japanese mm -hmm. uh, philosophy um and, and some uh Buddhist traditions, um, but for the most part, I was attracted immediately to the dark, like 
morose. Nothing is here to save you. It feels very stark here. Um, mm-hmm. That helped me navigate the world as a young man because I felt like, okay, I'm all by myself. I'm going to learn how to support myself. It gave me like a tool. Mm-hmm. But now that tool is actually very harmful to me. Like if I think of the world in those terms, not, not that I don't think, it, I still think that the universe has no meaning, therefore we can assign it. But if I think of it in terms of it is against me, I'm going to come at the world the exact asshole that I hate in other people. And mm-hmm. so the answer, and this sucks to admit, is that like learning how to be compassionate is the hardest thing that you'll ever do. But you can see it when you see it in your daughter or your spouse or your like mm-hmm. your close friends. Like if I can see, you know, if I can communicate them in a way that really like reflects how I think about them, um, then I can do it to people that I don't know or think about. Because then if I shift how I interact with the world, people will shift how they interact with me. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the hardest thing to do. Is to go like in uh, like the, a really good like obviously there's in America especially like there's this civil unrest that has popped up and the themes of systemic- oh it's over here too it's over here too well and that, that's there's all these like human um, problems that are not necessarily solvable they're improvable but they're not necessarily solvable and I think for what I think is a really interesting time, because you can think about what, whatever you want about whatever side you think that there are on sides. I think the phenomenal point is that kind of for the first time, people are going, wait, what did you say? And they're really trying to like listen about what's going on. I don't think that has ever happened. And there's, you know, there's obviously the, the examples of people thinking that they know what's going on. Like they have all the answers. This is what it is. This is why it's not cops, it's people, or it's, it's you know, it's ethnics, or it's this, or that. They, they'll have their opinions, and the people who are really, like, adaptable and um, trainable or coachable, I'd say, are going, oh, shit, look at that asshole over here. Like, he's not an asshole because of his beliefs. He's an asshole because he believes his beliefs are correct. Yeah. Right? Like, that seems to be the thing that distinguishes um, so, like an unlearnable person and a learnable person is how right that you think you are. Um, and, and really, like, if you think that the answer is to kill all racists, that's one way to do it. Like, yeah, that's an answer. Um, but what happens when you when you lose definition of what racist is? Who are you killing? Like, yeah, you really have to start looking at it in a way of like, are we annihilating the problem by getting rid of people? And when you think about it, like what is being racist? Being racist is generally a bad idea, right? Like it's just a dumb idea. The yeah. idea that somebody is better based on a quality that shouldn't be measurable in the first place. So we know that's stupid. So what do we do with stupid people? Do we kill stupid people or do we educate them? And it, it like, so all these calls for like canceling, it, like you're just reinforcing bad ideas, right? When in reality, go, let me hear your bad idea. Like, why is it, why do you think that it's good? I don't agree with you. And I can laugh when we don't agree in the end, but how about, have you ever thought about it like this, right? Like, I've got a 
two points to make there. You've just literally almost completely mirrored something that Daniele said last week, okay. which was that he he likes um, when he's you know, either lecturing or if he's researching somebody that he's doing a podcast on. Because I don't know if you've ever seen History on Fire, but it's yeah, it's, um, okay. yeah, it's um, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and what he likes to do is not put a one-dimensional perspective on something. Yeah. He likes to either say say he comes up with an idea in a lecture, and um, somebody opposes it. He's willing to sit down and discuss that with them yeah. in order to make sure that not because he's necessarily going to agree with it. Yeah. But so that he understands why they think that. Um, which is something that I've always tried to do, but I probably don't do enough. You know, if some, I've, I've usually in a conversation, if it's, if it's a debate of any sort of thing, I, I tend to in my head be thinking, I can sort of see your point, but I'm not usually willing to yeah, bend yeah. bend enough on what I I know, potentially, you know, someone someone says to me something about a, a weight loss program, for example, mm-hmm. and they're like, I'm doing Weight Watchers, and they they are debating to me why Weight Watchers is so good, when in reality, some I know something like Weight Watchers is designed for you to come back. That's the you know that's a, a business model. It's a shit business model if you you know if they if they perfect everybody. Yeah. And everybody remains uh, the their ideal weight, ideal yeah. BMI, because that's so important still. Right. Um, but you know what I mean? Their ideal body composition, shit, shit business model, because sure. they're 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 only going to make one lot of money. Um, customers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they know they're going to get it. That's why. Yeah. Let's not get into that too much because that's a whole shitstorm of um, ideas that I often clash heads with people on. Um, but what I mean is if I'm if I'm t- discussing something like somebody, one of my friends, you know, it, it frustrates the shit out of me because the amount of my actual friends, like close friends of mine that will go that not so much now. But when I had the gym, when, you know, times when I may or may not have been struggling financially, when I could have done with helping them, mm-hmm. they went elsewhere or they went to the Weight Watchers or the Slimming World or I don't know, the latest YouTuber that was gifted with an eight pack that claims that by eating this this meal that they throw in 30 second videos and yeah well, oh, here you go you eat this for a week and you're gonna and the amount of times i get into discussions with them going you're a fucking idiot i would have discussed this with you for free and you wouldn't have had to pay anybody any money because you're my friend right and i've slowly over the years though i've got to the point where i'm just like okay so go on and tell me why it's so good. I, I can give you a different perspective if you want to hear it, but if not, it doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> this is a really, so what you stumbled on is kind of a point that I made earlier. Wait for somebody to want your input. Yeah. Right. And, and like, that means it has to be good input, right? It has to be valuable input for somebody. And where things really shifted for me from being like an arrogant argumentative like asshole which i was like i mm-hmm. i mean i could win arguments because i was factually correct but i wouldn't win anybody over because in order to do so i would annihilate them to the point where like well they're not listening to me anymore 
So it yeah. doesn't matter that you're correct. And it doesn't matter that you have all the knowledge in the world. Usually we have to like learn that like it's a it's like I know nothing. Now I know everything. Now I know so much that I know how little I know. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the point where you can actually give good advice and it'll be elicited like in a, in a, um, in a, in a proper manner. Like if I see a weightlifting video and somebody's just learning like how to snatch or clean and jerk, you can pick out, I mean, I have enough experience with it. I could like, you know, detail and really send that person on the right trajectory. Mm-hmm. That's the last thing I'm going to do a, because I don't have fucking time. And yeah. B, that's for them to figure out, right? Like, we get frustrated because we think we can help people better, but really can we? And that's where like, I don't help people until they ask me, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hey, can you help me move this way? Or, Hey, can you do this? Or, Hey, what do you think about, you know, and there's like a, a polarizing topic is like how we view uh, like certain substances that are illegal, like psychedelics and drug use or cannabis. And it's like, I, like I have nothing to pitch anybody. My experience is totally my experience. Um, I don't think anybody should do what I do. I do insane things that are probably not good in the long term, um, but have really helped me understand a subject in the short term, like in a in a like condensed manner. Mm-hmm. Um, but if somebody were to ask my opinion on it, I would be honest with what I think the benefits of exercise, nutrition, heavy drug use, like what. I have opinions on all of that, but I also notice how fast it goes when somebody thinks that they're helping, right? And they go, hey, you should try this. Hey, you should do this diet. Hey, you should mm-hmm. take this substance. And um, it was taught to me, actually, uh, by one of my teachers, her name's uh, Lourdes. She's a facilitator for, for ayahuasca. When uh, I sat with a friend of mine and he was like kind of suffocating in the deepest parts of it, and he pulled a blanket over his head, and I could hear him like not breathing, like gasping. And so I went to like, hey, like, you know, put a hand on him to like get him to come out of it. And you're in such a sensitive state, you like shocked the hell out of him. And my teacher came over and she goes, you had the right intention. And later we talked about it. She goes, but if you really want to help people, just be an example of what they should do. And because people don't want to suffer, eventually they'll look around to who's doing it correctly and they'll just mimic them. And that's how that's how you best share your information was by being an example, not by detailing mm-hmm. it, not by trying to put it into words, but by literally just like a living example of, you know, if you want somebody not to suffocate, show show them how easy it is to breathe. Right. Like that, that's how how calm you can be and how everything is just fine how it is. Um, that was a really important lesson to me and it took me a couple years to assimilate it. And even now, like, obviously I'm not perfect and I tend to like jump off of things that I'm excited about to try to share with people because I think yeah. they're exciting. Um, but I have to realize halfway down the road that like, it's not for everybody. Like the road that I'm on is for me for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and if somebody's curious as to that road, I'll tell them all they want to know about it. Um, and try to put them in the best position possible. That's kind of how I feel about fitness too. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and it, it has taken me a 15 years to get to that sort of <laughs> honest, honest, I've been training people since I was sort of 13, 14 years old, like yeah. children younger than me at that stage. And, and like, 
I said to you earlier that the frustration probably comes from then. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a, an ongoing thing, and then once once you get into a position where you're actually good at something, yeah. Um, I think for me personally, that's you know no, and also I I think I discussed this with Rob. My big thing for my my gym was always the sort of leave your ego at the door thing. But that yeah. was the bit that hurt me, was my own ego. It's like, no, I know what I'm talking about. Those people don't. Why are you going to them? Yeah. And essentially, that's what killed what I was doing because yeah. I was getting so fucking eaten up by what other people were doing or where people were training Yeah, that I lost focus on the important people. You know, the, the, by the end of it... The, sort of similar to what you and Mark are doing now the sort of six or seven people that were there didn't matter if it was you know whenever they decided they wanted to train like you say like a six o'clock in the morning job they were there and they weren't going through the motions those people because they'd been there for a long time and you know they weren't just sort of you know I, my my gym went through the same stage as um I'm sure a lot of um the sort of original Jim Jones-esque gyms yeah. sort of sprouted out around there that sort of punk punk rock fuck fitness fuck the, well not fuck fitness fuck the fitness industry style yeah. gym went where you know the door was closed yeah the amount of people at the beginning that they've messed with oh look i really like the the look of what you're doing can i come down there no you couldn't you i'm, I'm not letting you bring down the rest of the people that i'm training <laughs> that and honestly i was like that to, yeah. to to people I didn't know and to close friends of mine. I was like, no. So, um, to the, I mean, I've gone down a rabbit hole here. I forgot what I sort of interjected for, but I remember um, just on on that point, I was at a stage where I was actually training people who were training people. I was training them to get in shape because it was always a fucking bugbear of mine. It's people who are out of shape training people to get in shape. Now, I understand now that you can have the knowledge to do something that you may not be able to physically do yourself. But I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, but I was, I was training a personal trainer, a, a rep counter. Yeah. And, um, like I said, I I'd very much got into photography at this point. This was long after I'd messaged you mm -hmm. about the, the whole lighting issue with the gym and whether or not to use a flash. And I'd spoken to Mark in previous years on what camera to get and I was actually trying to dig through Twitter to try and find those old conversations. I could, oh, yeah. They're probably still there somewhere. One of Chris D'Elia's fans can probably try and find it. But um, <laughs> um, but um, she said to me, um, and, you know, she wasn't in bad shape, but she, I think she had the, the vision that if she's training people, she should be of a certain body fat percentage that she wasn't a very confident woman she knew what she was doing but she wasn't a confident individual in herself therefore yeah. better herself she'd seen what I was doing um probably in a similar way to when I was at my dad's gym and I was seeing what Mark and um I think he had like Joe Holmes down there Steve House and people like that at the time and I was like that's what I want to do and I think she'd seen a little bit of that I was a bit more established than she was and she um we were in the car going to the gym um for a one-to-one -one session and she actually straight out asked me she said darren do you um do you, other than me do you train 
and I'm not sure she was referring to herself in this sense, but any unattractive, out of shape females. And I was like, what, what do you mean? She said all of the imagery is of, not all of the imagery, but of the, the female clients, they're, they're all relatively attractive and they're all in shape. And I had a smirk on my face and it maybe was a little bit of ego there. But I was like, have you gone back through the photos? And she was like, what do you mean? I said, you're only seeing recent photos. Those people have been training me for a long time. They didn't start like that. And I, that conversation, for, like, for some reason, really stuck with me for a long time. Because I was, I was thinking, in probably the same way that you get the emails about um, how, do, how do I look like Henry at the yeah. end of X stage, or how do I look like a Spartan, or blah, whatever the bullshit email that you get from somebody that just wants to fix like that is I think that maybe my gym got to the stage that because of the algorithms of Facebook and, and Instagram the only images that they were seeing were the recent images therefore they think that everybody that trains in my gym are certain, look, look a certain way or, or, or I only train people of a certain thing like, so that may be sort of corresponds with what we were talking about with the um people coming to you in actual yeah. i may have been pushing people away because they you know i can look at it now because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter in the slightest bit to me because it's in the past it's not of any personal monetary anything like that gain to me now to actually discuss it and analyze my own what was going on at that time and when you look at it it's like oh you know maybe the whole sit on the porch thing close yeah. the doors to some people that I, I could have potentially changed in the long run but also at the same time if I'm analyzing that that part of Darren I probably didn't want to at that time, at that stage I was happy training people who were accomplished that sure. not accomplished what's the word I'm looking for capable people yeah. that were capable and that's what I wanted to be around at that time and that sort of brings me on to something that I wanted to discuss with you because it is one of the most interesting things I've ever heard a coach, a rep counter, a personal trainer, a gym manager, a deadlifts and slow jam Instagrammer, um, anybody ever say. And I'm not sure if that is a policy across the board with the people that you work with or if it's a personal thing but how you don't necessarily charge anybody to begin with. You want to get to know the person. And some of the questions that I've heard you've asked them, like how fat is your spouse? Yeah. That, that whole thing, like if I was going to redo and go, right, I tell you what, I'm going to spend half my time at work yeah. and I'm going to give 25% of my time. I'm going to take on a client or two now. I'm going to dedicate 25% of my time that is potentially a model that I would be interested in doing because I think the philosophy behind it is not only just a sound one anyway, but it's, it's also, it's one of the most intelligent fitness wise things you could do because you can train somebody so much better. If you know them, like I said, before we started the camera, anybody can train anybody. Right. My, my daughter can make a grown person sweat out of their eyeballs. It's not yeah. hard. You just make them run up and down a fucking hill. It's it's, but yeah. to do something in a clever way and to 
get a beneficial lasting change um you need to know the person and i'd like to know where you sort of came up with that that whole sort of process of do you know what i mean i'm you know i'm going to ask you questions that probably nobody's asked you before it's it's um it's a it's <clears throat> there's two concepts that are going on this is um the the first one and i'll get i'll get back to how i came to how i train people now because it drives aaron fucking mad like she's a business <laughs> person straight through and she just likes deals done up front done and then we do the work or whatever mm -hmm. like she likes to know what's going on and i'm very much the opposite i want to know who i'm going into business with before and i almost want this like uncomfortableness to develop and i do that for a couple reasons the first one being is the curse of doing really good work is more of it right so yeah. like if you transform people the 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 fact is that more people will come to you to transform and if you don't like that work don't do good work um if you find that work like and we're very careful about who we pick to work with because we know whoever we influence is going to end up influencing us that, yeah. that's really the matter and that, that comes to the second point which is there's this philosophy in shamanism that shamanism is an old world healing right yeah. Um, there's different modalities. Some of it's esoteric. Some of it is just conversation. Some of it's music. Um, but a shaman is a shaman, one which literally means like one who can see behind the veil, someone who kind of looks for the magic and things. Um, that person is who they are, um, not because they have the ability to heal another person, but because in trying to heal other people, they heal themselves. And mm -hmm. so my concept of coaching comes directly from that. I, I can make myself better if I continually try to make other people better. I, I can use physical like training and philosophy to heal myself if I know that it heals other people. I'm like convincing myself if this works or not by mm -hmm. trying to see if it works on other people. And that is the trick in to first like why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, how I came to basically like building these relationships um, are a if somebody wants to enter into a, a relationship, I make it more difficult. Um, kind of as a test, but also as a like, well, I just want to see who's on. Like, if you just need superficial training, there's better people for that. Like, there's people who will cheerlead you and do all these great things, and they're, they're like, you only have to pay 15 bucks a session or whatever. Clapping and like pumping the jams or whatever that they are like almost a dime a dozen. Like we, we we know a slow jamming deadlift person that that is inherently their skill, right? Like that yeah. is what they are very good at is like turning it on for the dollar, or yeah. you know the 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 camera comes on and suddenly they're a personality. That I I just don't have that ability. Like you could pay me all the money in the world, but if I'm not interested in the person. It won't go anywhere. So uh, most of the time I'm trying to figure out like whether I'm interested in this person. Um, so I want to see like what makes them tick. And so generally the relationship starts with like, I'm more curious about them than they are about me. Mm -hmm. right? Like I know they have this thing that they want me to do this trick that I go through where I'll teach them these movements and I'll teach them, you know, things that'll make them better. But in reality, I want to see like, 
how far they've come, how far they're willing to go. Like, I kind of want to see how far people will push themselves, not just in the physical sense, but in the like overhauling their life sense. Um, so there was like, uh, when we first started nonprofit, it, there was another gym here. Um, there was like a fissure that kind of happened and we separated and it was the best for both because we just didn't align very well. I and, think I know where you'd be. Yeah, like we like there's no I mean, there's probably bad blood between somebody who thinks that I'm the one who caused it, but in reality, like nobody actually cares. So much so that we were like sending people to them for quite a while. Right? Yeah. Because we didn't want to do the work. But it was a time where we weren't taking clients, we weren't doing um, this kind of thing. We didn't want to organize fitness stuff. I just wasn't interested at the time. I was doing other things. Um, well, we sent people away, and it's been a couple of years, and funny enough, they come back. Like, they're back here after going through the cycle. Like, they've been there, they've been back at the other place um, that Mark started. They've, they've been kind of through the thing, and they end up back here, and then I make it even harder. Like, mostly because I, I trust that they're here for good reasons. I don't, like, I don't care where you exercise. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. All I care is that the original thing that got you interested is still the thing that's sparking you, which is curiosity. Like you want to see what you're capable of. And if you haven't made any improvement, I want to, I want to know that it's based off of you've had bad guidance, not that you haven't been trying. So for the first month or so where I don't charge people, they just come in and we interact. It can be scheduled or not scheduled. It can be a group environment. I really make no uh, plans other than like, you have to get here. Um, and it has to be kind of under the guise that I get to do whatever I want, mm -hmm. right? I can tell you to do whatever. And as long as you play by those rules after about a month, I can tell you what we can do. Um, and some, a girl that I just started, uh, training, uh, recently, um, kind of caught onto this cause she's been asking, like, Hey, she's been showing up to group training, uh, in the morning, three times a week. And she's like, Hey, send me a bill. Hey, send me a bill. And I'm like, like, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> and it's making her really nervous because she's like, well, are you going to kick me out? And I go, I don't know yet. Like, I just don't know what you want here. And I'm trying to, you know, do you want to make progress or do you not want to make progress? Do you just want to exercise? That's fine, too. Like, sometimes we, we can facilitate that. I just need to know if I need to do anything. And finally, like, she's a very interesting person. And she's made a lot of, like, advances in her physicality. And I think she's to the point where my skill set is appropriate, which is not necessarily the details of exercise, although it might be masked in that. The real thing that I'm good at is reorganizing, like shifting somebody's vehicle in order to like make a next step. And hers is like, man, she's lost tons of weight. She's become very healthy. She's become more aware of her body. She's become more aware of like how she views the world. And now it's time to the point, like, well, do you really want to start learning? Mm -hmm. If she does, like, you know, and I, I believe that she does because we've had some phenomenal, like, conversations around this topic. Um, here's what it takes. And so we start to design a thing for her where I will give her hardship and I will start to, like, apply stress to her in a way that she should be able to respond to. And that's entering into a relationship where although I am harsh and um, I'm going to give you the thing that you need to get better, um, it's based on the fact that I'm doing it because you know that I care. 
because I yeah. care about the outcome. That takes that for for somebody to know to know that I care, it has to be a genuine care. So in order to develop that care, they have to be around for a while. I don't care about people that aren't around. Like even people that I have cared about that are in my space, as soon as they leave my space, I quit caring. Right? Like I just I don't think about them. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a a gravitational thing for my practice is if if we all admit that we're trying to practice and get better at something, we just have to be around each other. And the second something is off, I'm going to tell you because I want to get better. I don't want to, I don't want to this, I don't want to stalemate. I rely on your monthly payment in order to pay for my car, in order to pay for the new toy that I just bought or whatever. I want to use this as a genuine practice to get to know people and know how to like interact. It's like, it's a real skill to me. Um, and that, that, that means that I've worked with very few people. Um, right now, like dedicated, I'm only coaching four people. Um, and they show up three days a week, but they're required to do three days a week on their own. Right. Um, and that, that's fairly intense for me. That feels like a full-time job, honestly. And I don't write anything for them other than maybe I'll give them ideas on stuff to do, but I don't program for them. I don't tell them how to eat. That's just me thinking about how to fuck with them three days a week in order to be better. That's a fucking perfect analogy of how you should, well, in my (laughs) mind anyway, how you should train people. It's not so much, like, uh, you've said it before, Mark said it before, tons of people have said it before. It's not necessarily, I mean, you could get, relatively jacked just doing press-ups and sit-ups if you do the right amount of reps the right amount of sets but um i think the whole that that was one of the things i really i'm not gonna say used to i really enjoy doing is fucking with people in a gym because like you say it's easy like anybody can can do a hard workout and um it sort of touches on something um because i'd like to talk a a little bit about photography because as much as that's not your main creative output uh, i I feel like your writing tends to be a bit more um your thing uh i don't know if i'm correct there but i i do see a hell of a lot of detail in the writing that you do um but i i feel like photography is quite a big passion um it's people playing up to the camera in general, but in a gym, it was so hard to get genuine photo. That's why I, I yeah. initially messaged you about not using a flash in the gym, because as soon as people started seeing that flash go off, yeah. they start playing up to the camera, start rolling yeah. around on the floor, yeah. making fucking sweat angels on the on the rubber flooring, yeah. uh, you know that sort of thing. And the the imagery that I see you and Mark putting up on, like I've got Ray's here. Um, I obviously follow the two of you on Instagram. I follow you on nonprofit. Um, I see some of the stuff that Erin posts as well. And there's a there's a a huge difference to somebody that knows what they're looking at when you can see genuine effort and yeah. ge- ge- genuine. Like I know what someone's like when they go off an airdyne. Yeah. You you go on the airdyne at fifty percent and be fucked. It's yeah. it's a hard it's a hard piece of kit 
I, I don't think it was ever designed to be that. I think it was designed for rehab, wasn't it? But <laughs> it, 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 it turns out that it turns out that it is. I think uh, it's Matt Owen at Project Deliverance has got, it called it Satan's tricycle. Turns out Satan himself designed that fucking piece of equipment. And yeah, come, I don't know where that originally came from. I want to say that might have been. Um, um, oh man, that might have been an OPT thing. Uh, how James Fitzgerald first referred to it, I, I think, is Satan's Tricycle on his blog in 2010. I uh, might be wrong on that, but I can't remember where it came from. I, I, know they I know, made a T-shirt of it. Satan's I've, I've seen the T-shirt. I thought it, I thought it was Max. I know he's got one, but um, he might. I think he made the T-shirts for it. I don't know where if he coined it, but eh, it's irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean. Like you could, you could take a photograph of somebody that's just done a 50% effort on an airdyne. They're still going to be tired. But they can make it look like they're more tired. It was harder than they make it out to be harder than it actually was, and yeah. it it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I, like I do follow people on, and it goes back to the fucking unfollow everybody thing. Yeah. But um, I do follow people because they were either it, they trained at my gym at some point, or they are part of the fitness community in the city that I live in. So, you know, sort of just checking in. Or, and you see the photos and you could see, like, as a, call it a trained eye. You can see, yeah. and you go, that's that's a photo. And that's almost like you've staged that photo. Yeah, it's a staged photo. Well, um, it, I suppose it essentially is a staged photo, isn't it? Because you've gone through your, your camera roll or your iPhone camera roll. You found the one that makes it look the hardest or looks like you've worked the hardest. I'm going to give you probably the worst analogy to this possible. Just <laughs> good. <laughs> um, so when I, my original relationship with photography was through like beauty and cosmetics and hair and fashion. Mm -hmm. So that I first learned how to use a camera on set with a lady named Beth Bolt, who was, I mean, she had shot the cover of Cosmopolitan maybe like 20 times. Like she was very, very good. At what she had a very like niche thing that she was good at. It was just like this natural, casual, girly, female -y feel to all her sets. And I was doing makeup for her. Um, and so I would watch how she would set lighting and how she interacted with, with models. And that, that's how I learned my trade was how to interact uh, with people first. Mm -hmm. the, the technical part came later, but I, I understood it as like, Ooh, if you want to get something out of somebody, you can't, the camera gets in the way. It's like this, as soon as I put it up, it's like a big barrier that says like awkwardness. Yes. So yeah. in, in reality, like if you, if you really want to get someone's genuine feature, you kind of have to get them off whatever they think. Now, some, some models, professional models, if people don't know, there's a reason you pay for them. It's because they can turn it on. It is a form yeah. of acting where they give you a look and they know enough about their body position that you like, it's just a quicker job as opposed to you take somebody who's pretty or has like nice features and it's painstaking to get a natural reaction out of them. The yeah. difference between pretty and hardworking model, it's like unbelievable. There's a gulf there that people don't understand where like if I, especially when you get into it, like I might take two to three hours to do makeup. Somebody might take an additional two to three hours to do hair. By the time we get to shooting, uh, uh, man, we have to touch up and everything. I've got like 15 minutes. 
I need like a shot done within a half an hour for sure in yeah. order to get the thing. We're all tired. So that's, that's my background in photography. The analogy comes, um, I came back to photography because I started to notice something that wasn't being portrayed. And there was like this, there was like this genuine effort, emotional thing that happens in training that I wanted to capture. And so I'm like, well, I know how to use a camera. I know how to interact with people. I'm going to try to, that's going to be my niche. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like, it wasn't as, um, maybe as formal as that in my thought process. It was just kind of like taking some pictures, adjusting them. Okay, they help tell these stories that I write about or they help explain a feeling and a thing. So I'm going to keep taking these pictures. But the analogy comes from um, uh, an interview that I've been listening to, caught a few of these things. Um, the sexuality in porn industry fascinates me. Um, from the perspective of like a sociological examination of, and I'll put it real quickly to kind of like bracket this thing. 99.9% of the people that you interact with on a daily basis all look at porn. Nobody oh, yeah. talks about it. It is like the most common thing between us, but nobody expresses that commonality, right? In fact, it's the opposite. If you're, if you're known to purvey that, it's thought about as a pejorative, like it's thought about as a negativity. And mm -hmm. sexuality is kind of like frowned upon. Yet that is the function and form of all life. And so where I'll come with the analogy is like, there's a fake set staged sexual act that happens that people will look at for either excitement or entertainment or whatever, pacification. And we know that it's staged, but it represents the thing that we might want to fantasize about. So we accept it. And that's how most fitness pictures are, right? Now, yeah. in this category, there's a subcategory, and it's on the amateur side of real people, like, filming themselves. It's voyeuristic for them, but for other people, it's, you might call it, like, a genuine interaction of sexuality that you're getting to notice between two people. And the excitement isn't just necessarily in the sexual act. It's in the genuine sexual act. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how I perceive what, you know, Mark and I to uh, and, uh, and to agree, like third capture is like this genuine interaction with effort. And it is almost sexual, but not in an overt displayed way. Right. Like when you see somebody's pleasure face and their pain face and these genuine reactions to to effort or whatever, um, it, it like makes you feel a certain way. And that's what, that's what I find fascinating in the types of pictures that, that, that I think that are good to me. They capture a genuine vulnerability that most people are aware of, but try to fake and stage in order to get a thing yeah. for it. Um, it's, um, what you just said there is perfect as well, because um, when, when you scroll through my Instagram and it goes back to sort of the gym phase of my life. There is not a single photo in there that I included that because I knew the people. So especially towards the end of the gym, because it became a very small group of people I was training. 
every photo is a genuine photo. Like if they've just finished the workout and they're happy, I've caught that image. And there's that sort of um, the exhilaration of just finishing something like tailpipe, for example. Yeah. And they they just done a really good time for it so they know they've achieved something and but they're exhausted and you can see all of that emotion in their face and in their body language yeah and there was plenty of times that I'd be taking those photos as you've described like and you can see someone they've seen the camera go up and I I think it was you that told me to learn to shoot from the hip I think it was you um to have the camera ready and more or less it may be a wider wider photo that you can maybe crop once, once you and you'll get a better photo I'm, I'm sure it was you it was either you or mark i can't remember it was like this was literally we're talking like five to eight years ago that i had these yes. these these message exchanges because i was genuinely interested in learning how to make my my images look better and um yeah so i, I could always tell and because i knew the people i knew i was like you've just come off the ski erg you're tired but you're not at the point you must have seen them a thousand times where more than yeah. when they've, they've let go of the ski, the ski erg arms and they've, they flop to the floor and it's like, Oh, I get, and you're like, yeah, I'm not as a coach. Yeah. I'm not having that. Like I, you might be tired, but you're not that tired. That's that. That's a, uh, that's a different thing. That's yeah, a, that's, and, and you, I, I tell you where you don't get that so much unless it's, it's with somebody that's accomplished, to a certain degree, and you take them one on one. You tend to get that that uh, oh, I'm dead, falling around on the floor. When there's a group, they tend to play up to the group as well as the camera. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you find that so much, but I used to find it the one on one thing. It hasn't happened. I mean, we've we've broken the culture a little bit here, so that's not necessarily rewarded. Yeah. Um, and I, so like our behavior here is like people won't ever see us do that. So mm-hmm. I don't think it, it becomes a thing. Every once in a while, somebody gets dramatic and it's kind of ignored. Um, there's a few people that are dramatic and it's real and that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first person that comes to mind is Nate Pack, um, who's been on our podcast, Cyclist. When mm-hmm. he goes hard, it's so real. You, it's unbelievable, and like his wobbling after and like almost passing out. If you, if you don't believe it, you just look at the results. Like yeah. the guy can churn out so much power for so long, it's devastating. So he's he's uh, who I call the Airdyne King, who mm-hmm. most people would refer to as the Airdyne King, because when all those challenges were going off, he ended up doing. Um, 424 calories in 10 minutes he did Jesus 720 and 20 he did a thousand fifteen and 30 and then he held 1600 so he held basically 500 watts for an hour straight i was gonna say that's pretty consistent numbers yeah, wise that's I mean, his and so when he did an all-out minute and he got up and fell on his face and mark told him and i was there that day mark was like get up he tried to get up and he couldn't like mm-hmm. he tried over and over and he was like passing out and his legs were like quivering and we're like, Oh, that's what the real thing looks like. Yeah. Like that, that's the one time. And I've seen it a couple times and I've had a, I've done, I mean, even, um, I did air to hell with somebody at a pace. Uh, we got done with it 
and it hurt so bad that I tried to like walk across the street to get like a chocolate milk or like a sugary thing. Yeah. And I fell on my face in the middle of the street. Like <laughs> my legs just gave out and I collapsed. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like I, I almost got hit by a car. Like it was like a dangerous thing. Um, and I was like, okay, like it does happen, but the dramatics are almost pulled away. And I think that's in how you develop the culture. And if we're barking at people to go harder, go harder, empty the empty the fucking tank and do whatever, you'll elicit um, the reward for that kind of banter, which tends yeah. to be like dramatic flailing. Yeah. Um, but instead, I'm usually doing the opposite now. I'm telling people, you know, you want to leave knowing what you're capable of. Like if you fall on the floor in here, it's a mistake. Like if you, if you can't walk after, you went too hard. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't mean, that means when I say go hard, I'm serious about it. I mean, empty the tank. And the reason I do it in that degree is like, I want the go hard thing to be the rare thing. I want the concert, like the concerted, consistent, conserved effort to be all, all the time. And um, so I don't run into that problem anymore with the flailing and the dramatics. Generally now when I take pictures of somebody it's for a purpose and I'll talk to them about, Hey, I'd really like to, you know, I'll talk to them beforehand mm -hmm. about, Hey, I kind of want to take some pictures of you today. So they know that it's coming, but I won't do it in a manner that they usually think, um, with Aaron, um, obviously I'm kind of like free to shoot her wherever, um, mm -hmm. but there are some times where if she's doing something really hard, I'll have to put on a bigger lens and get away. Um, to allow her to do her thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. like to shoot her from a distance that way she can focus on her thing, because she usually like she wants to use the pictures too. So she wants to. She's thinking about herself, and if she's thinking about herself and not her effort, she doesn't want to do that. So yeah, like that's that's a specific thing where like there's this half stage to like, hey, I want to. I have this concept of you lifting like this in this kind of light, and sometimes it happens naturally, and sometimes it happens under certain circumstances where you have to set okay. The sun's coming down. It's golden hour. I want you to lift right here. Mm -hmm. And then, but there's always going to be a genuine factor to it. It's like, you're going, just do your thing. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. And then I'll adjust on the fly. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know what that's good for, because we capture pictures that I think nobody really else is capturing in this space, at least. Like there's, there's CrossFit photos, but they like by and far miss the, miss the boat. And yeah. there's like, gym photos but they're usually trying to sell a supplement or something yeah. and i think what we're selling because everybody's trying to sell something is like there's a feeling associated with consistent dedicated effort and this is what it looks like and so uh, funny enough like have you have you mentioned like oh dude like you know you just always train fit people you're like well if what we project and try to capture is this consistent, dedicated effort and the result to consistent, dedicated effort is an aesthetic, whether that's a six pack or whatever, it's an aesthetic that you can recognize as like, man, that person really considers their diet. That person trains really hard. Then you're going to attract more of that thing. The, the thing that comes to turn when we went down to Australia in February, um, I finally got to go train at Chris Feather's gym at 98th Street. Oh yeah. And, I mean, I've loved those guys for a really long time. We've always stayed in contact. Even, you know, he came up to Salt Lake and visited us. And uh, he's always been like, I've always known him as somebody who's just incredibly hardworking and he's a fucking actual monster. 
Yeah. He he took what we were doing and talk about like putting like timesing it by ten. Like that gym down there. Me and Aaron went down there. It's like, is there anybody here who's not like six percent body fat and tan? I noticed that from the photos. Yeah, it's like extremely good looking. But not just that. I was like, well, let's crush these motherfuckers. They're pretty, right? Yeah. They destroyed us. Like, and so there's like, I'm going to excuse it a little bit because we had just come off of a competition and we were all fucking wrecked. Like, yeah. we're talking like, that's one of the hardest competitions I've ever done. And I've been rolling in jujitsu every day with that. And I wanted to go there and throw down with them and their FYF. And so mm-hmm. we threw down and legitimately lost. Like, I mean, I was trying my hardest. I think and I today- did Aaron document this? Well, I th- I'm pretty sure I've I've seen oh, yeah. like your like snippets of your trip there, and I'm yeah, pretty sure two of the girls, uh, Tess um, uh, and Katie, they they're like they were on my team, so we competed together, and they just like they the thing that they're good at is so shocking. Like they their effort, their hard efforts are so fucking hard. It's really like it made us go. Oh, shoot. We should probably like do some work. Like yeah. <laughs> we've gotten a little bit lazy sometimes. I love those kinds of checks and balances, but what you'll notice from it is like it's not that they're trying. Like obviously, there's an aesthetic to that gym, and they they're gonna like purport their aesthetic. They're gonna take pictures of how good it looks and how yeah. strong their people are, uh, and that's gonna attract other strong people. There is that to some degree. In which case, that highlights the importance of your own practice, right? Like. The yeah. best practice I can have is one that brings other people to me. Like, uh, and that's how it goes for music. Uh, these uh, musicians that uh, we know, they're so fucking good. Their whole life is music. And they live on, on a private estate in Hawaii. And they literally just practice all day. And people fly to them to learn how to do music. And in learning how to do music, they get better at their music. So we're talking about like some of the most, it's the talent is so high that there isn't even albums that represent it properly because they only do it live. Like this is one of those things where like you want to talk about genuine. There's a lot of people in the music field who feel like recording steals a part of it. It doesn't represent it fully. There's something to live music. And I would agree with that. There's something that like, just watch anything that's broadcast versus being there live. Like you could do yeah, this yeah. whole event, right? If I watch it on TV, it's different from being in the crowd and watching it. Like the energy is so much different when it's live. And so these musicians sometimes have no recordings at all of their music. They only play live and that that is what gives it its value. And they've created a scenario where basically their practice reinforms how good they are by keeping it fresh. And so that that's kind of how I feel about what like you know Chris Feather's doing at 98. How in to some degree what we're trying to do at nonprofit is like we're trying to level up in a, in a degree in a, in a practice with art and photography and and words and conversations to to the fact that it brings in other people and it makes it even better. Like yeah. we're not that good. We're really not. We we don't. What we do when we get together, though, is we channel something together and we create an energy that attracts other things. And that's what makes it great. It's not me. It's not Mark. It's not Aaron. It's not Keegan. 
it's something that happens when we get the rhythm right and you get the energy right and you go, okay, it's happening. Let's do what we're going to do. And then you create something from it. Sometimes that's a zine. Sometimes, I mean, when we did uh, the last collaborate zine, we can kind of plug that because it was, it was an accidental thing. It was like this, Hey, meet us down in the desert. And everybody was on board. It was like the right time, the right time of year. We didn't know what to expect. And seven people showed up and we were all kind of like chomping at the bit to do something, but nobody knew what that was. And so we just started creating things, having conversations. And then when we left that experience, the lie, like being there was enough, but Mark kind of pushed and he's like, there's enough here that we could actually make something from it. So he pushed for the zine and then it turns out that Staley pushed for like the video came out of it. And you look at it and you're like, okay, maybe people don't understand what's going on, but there's something happening here mm -hmm. where you like you get enough good energy and good people, what they're doing, and it informs the whole. And that's kind of how I think about this practice. It's like I'm only trying to practice personally so that when the time is right, I can add something to the group. Like I, I may, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's like a way that I have ideas or maybe it's a way that I use a camera or maybe it's a way that like I bring people together or maybe it's a way that I beat a drum, you know, that attracts other people to like get into this rhythm and then how even metaphorically or maybe even not just realistically, that is your life. Like I'm trying to move in a synchronized way, put one step in front of the other. That's my life's rhythm. And if I can put that rhythm together long enough, it becomes harmony. And if I can interrupt that harmony with a, a synchronicity, that becomes melody. And now my song, now my life is a song. And I want other people to jump into my song with me. Mm -hmm. Like I'm living in a manner that's harmonious and it carries melody and it's pleasant, it's enjoyable. It might be dark, it might be somber. It might elicit every emotion in the world. That's what music does. But other people will catch it and go, hey, I want to sing that right now. So they come into your life and they help you with your song. Most people are not, they don't have the basic rhythm down and therefore they can't create all the rest that comes down. So yeah. a lot of what we teach is basically like find a rhythm where you can just keep going day in, day out. It's really methodical. It's really boring. But what happens when you do that long enough is the monotony allows you to see the timing between times. And that's basically what music is. Music is numbers in time. And it's empty space is basically what makes the notes accentuate. So the more downtime I have, actually the more creative I can become. Some people look at it the opposite, right? They're like, oh, I need to be creative. I need to fill the space. I need more input, more input. And that's the yeah. same that consumption. When in reality, creativity comes from its opposite. It comes from the empty space. And so we go through these time periods that I've become a real fan of. They're not fun. Don't get me wrong. It's like training, right? Like yeah. it's miserable, but deprivation where I will not read anything. I won't um, listen to anything. I won't even sometimes converse with people. And I'm getting to the point where I'm trying to design a way to do this deprivation where I can go off on my own for a longer and longer periods of time where I have no input. No phone calls, no conversations, no music, no information, no book reading. And I just wait till I get frustrated enough that I can actually do the opposite and start producing. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I'm, I'm in the amateur stage of trying to develop that. So it's still fundamentally just like a daily practice of like, okay, what can I get rid of and sit here? And when I get antsy, what can I make? Maybe that's like some rhythms or some sounds or some music or a piece on a guitar, or maybe that's some words or some ideas that go into an essay, or maybe that's some pictures. But the idea is that if I want to produce more, I need to, I need to not consume. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of what happened. Like I said at the beginning of um, the lockdown in the UK, because for the first week, uh, this is quite a good story, which I don't think I've actually <laughs> discussed with anybody before. Um, so after the first week of official lockdown, that's where Georgie was allowed to come and do whatever and more or less i had to start homeschool from then but the week before that when she was in actual quarantine mm-hmm. my entire house had to quarantine because of the potential that george might have it therefore we yeah. would pass it on um but nowhere else nobody else to my knowledge in my town city was in that same predicament yeah um you know, it was, it was just starting to get murmurs. Oh, shit, something bad is coming. But yeah, the school had sent her home. So once I'd done her breakfast in the morning, it was very much like, what else do I do? I've got no symptoms. Um, the information at the time was, like, if you see somebody walking, cross the road. Yeah. That sort of thing. Um, and I recently moved house. So I actually live quite near to the river now. So I started going on walks with my... I've got a, um Alaska Malamute. And yeah. so it was like great opportunity to give get Jack a damn good walk. Mm-hmm. So take him down by the river. After about two days, um, I, I started off listening to like catching up on Rogan. Um, yeah. Cause you know, they're long three hour conversations, yeah. aren't they? Can't always have time to listen to them and listen to all of those walking around. Eventually I got to the point where I stopped taking my headphones and started taking my camera. And I'll send, I'll send you, when we finish talking, yeah. I'll send you some of the images that I got. Because I found, this is going to sound really fucking weird now, I found, because in the UK we'd had big flooding, um, yeah. sort of October time, and it didn't really, uh, and then we had like another fucking storm, Storm Wendy or something that hit, and um, that all sort of started to die down, but then Corona showed up, and um, I, I ended up with this landscape that I was walking around going, as apocalyptic as it potentially could have been, I wasn't at that stage yet. Like in thinking this is doomsday. Yeah. It's, like, it's just the fucking flu, isn't it? Like, it's going to be fine. Um, but I, can't, I obviously can't go and interact with people. So I'm walking around these field, literally farmer's fields next to a dairy farm, get down to the river, goes past like a sewage works. After about two days, I, I, that's when I took my camera. I started taking photos of like debris and trees. And I've got some, I think they're great images, but they are literally like, I was really reluctant to put them on Instagram or anything because I've got no context to put them with. Yeah, It would yeah. literally, I, I feel like I, I've got, like I've paid for extra space on different things. So I've got thousands and thousands of photos from like the gym from when Georgie was little, etc. And Photos like that, which are, I think is, that's like a genuine artsy thing to do. Mm-hmm. I've got no context. So I feel like Instagram and stuff, it's like you, unless you've got a context to put it and you just put up a, a photo of a tree with no description or anything, 
it's almost like a pointless reason like there's no reason to put it on there you're not conveying any information people don't follow me to see pictures of trees if you know what i mean or maybe they would follow i'd get more followers because that was always a massive frustration but at what point does the like and i think that like people sometimes tell me like um you know why why don't you talk about fitness and i'm like well because i'm not here for you Mm -hmm. like we we miss that point of like my my social media presence or whatever is for me it's not for anybody else and just because that's I'm a fucking known, good point that's a really I'm good known point. for certain things right like i'm known to talk about certain subjects and i like the things that interest me but also i mean people might not expect certain things from me but that doesn't mean i should like even care about like why would i if somebody doesn't want to see something or like I'm not doing something that's expected, um, that really raises like red flags to me. Cause then it's like this on brand problem. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. We're, we're all mark. You're all marketing yourselves to all the time. And what I'm trying to, you know, portray is like this lifestyle thing. And you're like, well, some of the best way to make sure that what you're doing is correct is to break that, like to break the habit. Mm-hmm. And that's where like a color photo for me always breaks it, right? Like True. same, same with me. Same with me. Um, um, I, I'm not sure if it was you or Mark that said, and it sort of it resonated with me as well. Um, I always get confused to who I actually spoke to at what yeah. time because it was it was very close in it, on the timeline, but also at the time it was quite distant. But um, what? Or oh, it might not have even been a conversation. I might have read it on one, either something Mark has written or something off the Grit and Teeth website or whether it was even on... One of you said that you see the world in black and white. And... Mark. As in, when he's shooting a photo, he sees it in black or black yeah. and white. And maybe... I, 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 it's probably Mark then, if, you, if you've yeah. straight away gone Mark. Yeah, that's for sure. But it, it resonated with me because I... I've, I've just... Um, What's the word? So I've taken a load of old uh, photos from my mum's house. And yeah. For Father's Day, I decided to scan a load of photos of my dad when he was in the Air Force. Oh, yeah. He was a jump instructor, and he's got some cracking photos from back in the 70s and 80s of yeah. him j- jumping with a fucking, like a, a VCR on the front. Yeah. Uh, and this, this camera that you think, the only reason he was able to do it is because he was so small. Um, as in weight wise, he's, he's, yeah. he's about 5'11, so he's not like short, short, but he, he weighed less than I do now, and he's yeah. a good few inches taller than me. Um, and what was it? Restored him, I restored him, got him, got him di- digital, um, digital copies of them, so he, he'll never lose them. He can have them on his phone, he can show people, but they're all in color, yeah. And it was almost like, again, this is my sort of obsessive brain. I don't work in colour very often when I'm producing a photo. And I didn't even take these photos, but I'm looking at them and my brain's screaming at me like, no, no, you need to uh, lower the saturation on these and you need to affect the black point. And I tried tried a few times with those photos of, of doing that. So we had a black and white copy as well. And I was like, it's not my place to do that. I didn't take these photos. All I can do is scan them, um, take away any damage that's done to them. I mean, we, we all know Photoshop's e- yeah. easy enough to do, but where there's creases or scratches or dust marks, take yeah. those out so he's got a perfect, as perfect as possible 
copy. So again, if he wants to then print them out and in larger, because I try to make them as high resolution as possible for him and you know yeah. things like that. But I did have to say to myself, no, like you cannot do that to those photos. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, because I, I see photos that I like automatically want to edit and go, ooh, I would yeah. do it like that. Um, but also it's like, well, I have so many photos that I don't edit that I usually don't. Like, I usually don't have enough time to process my own stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, I mean, I'll shoot about uh, anywhere between 80 and 100,000 photos a year. Um, this year might be a little bit low because I haven't shot very often. And last year I was on kind of kick, so it'll probably be closer to like 60,000. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's just like the volume that it takes and out of that 60,000 I might use you know depending on what we're using it for I might use 100 photos Yeah. out of those 100 photos I probably think like maybe 10 of them are good so out of 100,000 photos I'm getting about 10 good photos <laughs> that's, that's my batting average um, I mean, what what does that work out? One percent? I'm shit at math, by the way. I yeah, shit. it's less than that. I'm less afraid. than that. Um, yeah. So um, I just noticed the time. I got to get to training some people. Um, did we cover enough? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think we did. Uh, before you go, uh, this is something I've been I, I I wanted to do from the start with the podcast, but you're going to be the first for it. Okay. So this is something that I am going to then put out on onto instagram or any social I, I haven't really decided what i'm doing with it yeah the initial thing was i was going to get from instagram somebody to give me an overrated and underrated item it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be anything i put it out there a while ago and people automatically because of my job thought it was to do with food uh, okay. and it doesn't have to be with food um so the only, one person my brother my brother got it because I've obviously discussed it with him before. So as an example, he said, um, what was his underrated? Underrated for him was a mashed potato sandwich, which like, I don't expect anybody to agree with. So he right. thinks that a mashed potato, mashed potato in two slices of bread yeah. as a form of food is underrated. And his overrated was Beyonce. He finds Beyonce is incredibly overrated. Okay. So I'd like a Michael Blevins take on something that is underrated. It's something that is overrated. So I mean, it shows that it, like it's a good it's a good uh, character um, identifier because like you mentioned food, and I immediately can go all down the roads of thing, foods that I think are overrated and underrated, but like, that's, kind of, that's kind of pedestrian. I think, um, I think self-improvement is overrated. Okay. And I, I want to say that I think, um, like, how to put it, self-analysis is underrated. Okay, let me just make a note of that, because I'll stick it. Um, so Self-improvement. Overrated. Self-analysis, was it? Yeah. It's underrated. Underrated. Okay. Fantastic. Well, I think that, I mean, what was that? Nearly two hours? Yeah, something like that. It was good. Uh, I'd, um, 
I'd like to do it again, Michael, sure. if that's all right. Uh, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be anytime soon. It's whenever you're free. Um, and that. hopefully, by the time the next time we talk, there's going to be a little bit more that we can actually talk about because we haven't been shut away for three, four months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. awesome. Okay, well, well, I hope you have a good rest of your day. That's um, And thank you for your time. Brilliant no, no podcast. Thanks, Darren. Thanks.